new poster. I got you some almost famous. I just got I, did, I saw your almost. I saw your almost famous poster. Yeah. yeah. You posted on Instagram. Yeah, it's po- it's um, beautiful. Really nice. And it, you said it's an original poster. It's an. It's an. I, I paid some money for it uh, to get it. Yeah, that's not. That's that's not a reprint. It's not a reprint, people. It's the real thing. Also, right next to me, I have "There Will Be Blood," and uh, a Pooh trilogy poster that's not a real poster, um, but it's it's still an amazing poster. Hey, oh, what's yeah. up, people? Hey, it's uh, it's uh, another episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Stephen Billings, and with me once again is the Guru himself. I'm gonna. That's gonna be your nickname, the Guru. Oh, I'm sorry, you don't like that nickname? Okay. No, uh, the, the name <laughs> Guru has a lot of uh, uh, weight and expectation behind it. Like you're supposed to be the smartest person in the room, or the smart one of the smartest people around. Okay, and well I we're never, gonna. I never, uh, I never consider myself that. Well, sure, but we're gonna say between the both of us that you're the you're the Guru. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna okay. give you that one. I'm gonna give you that one. And that's Andrew Cabral here. Uh, how you doing, Andrew? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm especially excited to talk about our topic of the day is going to be the silent era of cinema, kind of the early beginnings of cinema history, literally the beginnings of early of cinema history. And like I said, I believe in the original episode, our first episode is I love history and I love uh, talking about discovering, learning about the history of certain things, but especially the history of things that I really love. And that being cinema, his, uh, cinema, you know, the history of film and the richness of it and how impactful it is on our not only our modern day, but in the past generations in leading up to the modern day. So we're going to be taking uh, not not quite a deep, deep dive into the silent film era, but we're going to be giving a very uh, broad and very hopefully interesting look at an era of film that doesn't get a lot of uh, people talking, doesn't get a lot of conversations uh, going. It's a very niche era of cinema history because people are used to having people talking in movies. And when they don't talk in movies, it seems to bother people. Yeah. You know, and, and I'll, I'll even admit myself, you know, there was a time period where I looked at, you know, I mean, even looked at, you know, black and white movies as just being something that I was not interested in because it was black and white. I was very prejudiced against the fact it was black and white and then going beyond that, if it didn't have any, you know, sound in it other than the score, then I was, I'm not listening to that. I'm not, I'm not watching that thing. It's so boring, but you know, once I got past my, my prejudice, I started watching, you know, things like Chaplin and, you know, uh, you know, getting further Fritz Lang and we'll get into that stuff, you know, and then you're, you're missing out on some of the, some of the great, greatest cinema there's ever been in these films. Yeah, it's an entirely different experience watching silent movies versus watching talkies. Um, Silent movies you have to be really fully engaged with because everything is visual. It's really the most purest uh, form of cinema because cinema is is a visual medium. It tells stories through visuals. And the silent era was the beginning of telling those stories uh, through the visual medium, and I think we'll just start out going way back to the beginning. We're oh, yeah. talking the late nineteenth century, so we're talking a over a century ago. In the, I would say around 1894, 1895, um, you get uh, a guy named Goodwin. Uh, this guy invented film night, uh, film nitrate, or nitrate mm. film. And this is the, I believe people refer to it as silver nitrate or whatever. And this stuff is what the early movies were captured on. This is the earliest format of movies. Um, And the thing with silver nitrate is while it gave us movies at the time, it is also something that is extremely uh, unsafe and flammable. This thing will self, self combust at any moment there there was various factors yeah there was there was a lot of issues where um during that time there would be cinemas that burned down because uh there would be combustions and and you know because that industry was so profitable they would do the best they could to once something like that happened to get right back to work to show in movies again because that was just how things were yeah and 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 while like 
And then after that, uh, you get certain other inven important inventions in cinema history being made. Uh, the movie camera is basically invented by Thomas Edison. Um, the problem with that is that he never had a patent. Like yeah. he never had it. He never had an international patent for the video camera. So once his invention was kind of out there, you get a lot of other people uh, copying him and kind of building upon uh, his invention. You get. Uh, uh, the Lumiere brothers in France took that idea of the movie camera and basically invented the first film projections, uh, projectors, and they were able to show uh, short amounts, uh, short short films on on a larger screen and projected on a big screen. What Thomas Edison, what Thomas Edison did was he created uh, kind of devices or prisms that you could uh, view the film in, but they could only be seen within those prisms. Think of like, you know, um, the flapper films of like the 19 teens or something like that. Or if you've ever, if you've ever gone to like a museum or some type of retro place where you put in like a quarter or some or a dime and you stick your eyes in this kind of binocular type thing and they play a film reel, really, you hear the clicking sound and all that type of stuff. That is like what Thomas Edison was dealing with. And it was later on that uh, projectors were created. And then, of course, after projectors, you get uh, the small cinemas that were that that rose up in the early uh, early twentieth century, and Stephen uh, Stephen and I were talking about them. They were called yeah. Nickelodeons. The Nickelodeons, I love. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> cool to hear that little reference there. The Nickelodeons, yeah, and they they, they were kind of that 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 name came from the fact that it cost about a nickel to to get into these movies. That's why they called them Nickelodeons. So uh, I I wish movies I wish movies were that cheap nowadays. Ah man, they are no longer nickels. Um, no, no. And, and with these Nickelodeons uh, rising up, and of course this being a brand new thing and a brand new medium, people began to go to them. They began to become bigger and bigger, more profitable. And that's when you got to see uh, studios started popping up. Uh, smaller studios, but kind of bigger studios as well. And they started buying up these Nickelodeons and started you know, creating brands and things like that. And a lot of... Uh, the major studios that are still around today all developed during the silent era of cinema. They developed a little later, probably in the 1920s and 1930s or so. But um, the big ones, Stephen, you know all these names. Paramount. Yeah, yeah I was going to say Paramount. Paramount Brothers. Was, Paramount was one of the, <clears throat> the, the first ones that came out of the silent era, I'm pretty sure. Paramount was one of the earliest ones, probably the oldest uh, cinema still around. And then you had, like I said, Warner Brothers, MGM uh, yeah. showed up, uh, 20th Century Fox. And a lot of these uh, studios that were that uh, rose up, of course, developed the studio system, the, the contracted system where they would, you know, uh, uh, buy the contracts of actors and directors. And they would kind of really control the production of a lot of these movies. So what happened is that um, a couple of, uh, directors and actors decided to team up and create their own studio and that's where you have a very famous studio which is kind of still around today it's a subsidiary mm, i can't remember yeah. of whom i think of mgm but MGM's also owned by i think mgm Big bought companies. them and then now mgm is <clears throat> owned by warner brothers or somebody uh, it, uh, all, yeah. of the all of the studios today are actually uh owned by like giant giant <laughs> corporations that you don't really know the names of anymore um yeah. that, but that's that's something that happened later on that happened in like the 60s but we'll get to that eventually but th uh, what i'm talking about is united artists which was dw griff which was started by dw griffith um charlie, charlie chaplin. chaplin um um douglas uh, fairbanks yes douglas fairbanks and mary pickford yeah, uh, she, she was an act. She was a famous actress of the time, yeah. and Douglas Fairbanks was an actor. Yes, and of yeah. course Charlie Chaplin was an actor director. We're going to talk about him. And D.W. Griffith is also a director who was very important, but also very controversial. controversial. <laughs> yes, and during the silent era, uh, like we've said, is the bedrock or the beginnings of movies in every facet. It's the beginning of. Uh, you know, like I, we just talked about cameras being developed. It's also the development of editing, the development of certain camera techniques like cross cutting uh, and cross. And, uh, well, that's editing, but yeah, but like yeah. Uh, like uh, panning and long shot and long takes. Uh, and like Stephen said, cross cutting with editing and just 
just editing in general being invented. Just really you know? kind of coming up with the with the with the flow of a film, you know, being yeah, able to and- being able to tell narrative stories and not just showing certain images, showing certain images, you know, sequences. Um, yeah. Like it, like it was uh, kind of one of the big ones that that kind of came out of that time, that early time was um, the Great Train Robbery was one of the first kind of shorter f- films that got. You know, you know, we started out with the, what they called flickers, which were very small, these very short, like minute to two minute long things. And then this movie, The Great, uh, the great Train Robbery came out, which was about 15, 12, 15 minutes long. And it came out in 1903. And it kind of became one of the first kind of, of of that Western genre that we would eventually become very prolific um, going into the 30s and 40s and 50s and beyond. Um, and it and it it. it you know, really shows, you know, apparently it was so, so, such an impactful movie that people would actually get scared in the cinema, like, because they'd never seen anything like it. They'd never seen things like that on, on, on the screen come at them like that, a big train, you know, and a heist and all this, you know, craziness. And then there was, I think it's the trip to the moon, which is, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I was talking about uh, uh, George Melier, who was a, I believe a, fr- a, a French film director at the time, and he was creating, all kind of uh, just uh, more experimental things like yeah, things yeah. you didn't see before. He was creating kind of the kind of the starts of sci-fi cinema and stuff like that. Um, he was also, you know, using jump cuttings and all, uh, jump cuts and all kind of stuff like that. Um, he was uh, he was actually featured. Uh, I mean, it, most most recently, people know who he is because of the Martin Scorsese film Hugo. Who I believe uh, Sir Ben Kingsley portrays George Melier, and that movie itself is kind of a love letter to silent cinema. You know, Martin Scorsese being the giant cinephile that he is—that's uh, not really surprising. No. But it's nice to see that. Uh, nice to see the silent, uh, silent film ever being reintroduced to people in a, in a modern age through a mainstream director whom a lot of people are aware of. Um, like Stephen said, A Trip to the Moon is one of the most. Um, well known of George Melier's films, and it's it's fascinating because there's there because there's a colorized version of it, which is very interesting to me because when we think of color, we think of more modern day stuff or not even modern day stuff. But we don't think that color, uh, we think that color came around maybe in the fifties and sixties. Yeah. But no, colors was around in the twenties and the thirties. You know, Technicolor was a thing, but back in the the early days of silent cinema. Uh, it was a different type of of coloring of film, where I believe it was a lot of it was done by hand and stuff like that. It was really, really cutting edge stuff that, of course, was foreshadowing you know cinema later on, and yes. and and a lot of the stuff in the silent era was stuff that was carried over into sound cinema. Um, and I think uh, and the most one of the most important films in the silent era. Is and most controversial, like we mentioned, is D.W. Griffith's um, "Birth of a Nation." I, Birth of a Nation. <laughs> it's a film that is a propaganda film in oh, the yeah. worst sense of the term. Mm. It's a hugely racist film. It's basically telling the history of America, but with an extremely racist tinge to it. But what the film has, what the but why the film is remembered. Uh, and is so important is because it's a very large scale film with a lot of things happening in it when it comes to the construction of a movie, when it comes to the making of a movie, telling a long form story with so much editing, so many moving parts, you know, it really is uh, modern in that sense. But like we've said, the content of it is pretty, pretty bad. I mean, in a lot of the films within the silent era and even after the silent era, you know, there's a lot of, controversial things within them you know if you're familiar with the concept of black facing or something like that or you're familiar just with the history of african americans in american cinema you'll understand that they were really relegated to you know rather stereotypical roles in the silent era as well as afterward i mean it's a whole that's a whole discussion for a different time but but just jumping off of dw griffith and kind of talking about other prominent people within the silent era, I know Stephen wanted to talk about a few people. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we can't get, we can't go much further without talking about Charlie Chaplin. I mean, he, um, he really, you know, he, he, he was started out as kind of just a stage performer um, 
you know, coming over from overseas. And he, uh, I think he was 19 when he came over. So he's very young and started out doing these shorts. Uh, I think it was the Keystone Company. I think it was the name of the company he started out with. And he um, he did a lot of shorts with them. And then they eventually got to a point where he could uh, produce his own things. Um, he, he was doing so well. He was becoming so popular um, that apparently his only competition was Mickey Mouse. <laughs> That's how popular he was getting. Um, yeah, and- Charlie Chaplin was yeah, monstrously popular. Um, and he did a lot of movies. I mean, oh, and, and so- most of most of his movies are short. So, like Stephen was saying, when he yeah. came over here, his the start of his career, moving from vaudeville into uh, filmmaking, a lot of shorts, and he worked with a couple of companies. Like uh, there was Keystone, there was SNA, there was Mutual, and then of course when he got you know big, that's when he, he like I said, he and along with a couple of others. Uh, created united artists so he could make his own movies basically you know yeah. he could have control over the content control over the filmmaking you know get away from the studios and stuff like that and that's when he and in the 20s i think is when he started making his best films really oh yeah definitely unbelievably like these films are still watched today in many many film in, in film cl- in film classes these are these are all-time great films films um like the kid that, like the kid, um, um, city lights, city lights, uh, um, gold rush, um, the circus, uh, so many great films. And he also like tried to do some more serious stuff, but I think his more serious stuff came later on in his career after, after the Island. Yeah. you know, the great dictator was in the 1940s and it was uh, a sound film. Uh, he actually ended up recutting, uh, Gold Rush in like I think the 40s to make it more of a sound movie, um, but I also I always prefer the silent uh, movie version. Yeah, uh, modern time. I was modern gonna say times. Modern Times is one of my favorites. It was one I was for. It was the first movie that introduced me to him, and yeah, it really- and that, that came that came out in 1936, which is kind of the towards the tail end of the silent era. Um, yeah. I believe the silent era goes from like 1896 to like. 1936 properly but i mean afterward there were of course homages and things like that i mean it it, it slowly died out as the studios decided that sound the talkies were the way of the future they started to slowly you know kill silent films and and you know with chaplin man i think that i think that the thing that makes him so um him standing the test of time why people look to him the most when it comes to this era is it's just that his the content of his films were all about the the everyday every man or the you know the every person you know um, whether you know he always played somebody that was kind of the underdog whether you know you know, you know he yeah, played his, his standard character the tramp which he played all the time once he once he came up with the character during his shorts it became his normal his normal thing and and you know whether he was uh, you know a factory worker in modern times or you know or you know. I can't. I, I can't remember what he was in the kid. What was what was his character in the kid? He was like uh, he was just poor. He was just poor, <laughs> just a poor man, and just yeah, in the kid, he, you know. He <laughs> always played the tramp who was you know homeless or derelict, yeah. or hungry, whatever. And and a lot of people uh, began to really latch onto that, especially when the um, uh, the, the Great Depression happened. Yeah, you know, yeah. in the 1930s, a lot of people would go. Probably his movies would probably be much popular during that time if they were reshown in theaters and stuff like that, because people could directly relate to it. And his films are very touching, and they're very sweet and they're very honest. I love his movies so much. But there were others in that same time frame who people prefer or like just as much or whatever. You can like whomever you want, but of course, the other two, I would say, titans of uh, American silent films were Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd. Buster Keaton is known for his films being very dynamic, very physical. Uh, he would all he would always have great like, like huge like sequences in his movies where he'd be like riding on a train or something like that or great chase sequences and his and what's amazing is that back then you didn't have CGI or special effects. No, no, they or didn't anything use, like they that. Didn't use, they he, didn't use the back screening stuff, you know. Yeah, they didn't use rear projection yeah, that much. Rear projection, yeah. And it was like it was kind of all him doing crazy amounts of stunts. 
And Harold Lloyd was the same way. Harold Lloyd is uh, someone who uh, also perfected a very similar character, like the Tramp, but his own signature character. It, you know, the guy with uh, wearing the glasses and whatever the the you know the the Coke bottle glasses and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And he was also very sweet and very very tender, and it had a very great charm about his characters and his films were also very real if you look at you know safety last and the freshman you know they're very human stories buster keaton was a little more um uh wondrous you know what i mean he was a little more adventurous if you will like his films are like you know sherlock jr and the general and steamboat bill jr is one that i one that i really liked uh, but these were kind of the three main guys but shifting from american cinema uh shifting over to Europe because Europe was doing their own thing. And this is when we get into a lot more interesting type cinema. This is when we get into uh, German expressionism and we get into kind of like Russian propaganda movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Very yeah, was... different type of movies in the United States. They're making uh, entertainment, popcorn entertainment. Yeah. The they, they, they were very money. much f- f- finding their way into comedy. They were really, you know, comedy yeah. was their biggest thing. And over overseas, they were hitting more genre based stuff. And, yeah, and really, and they didn't even know they were inventing genres, basically. Yeah. You know? I mean, wh- whether it was the horror, horror of that time or science fiction, you know, which will, you know, I would say, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, Fritz Lang uh, for, for, you know, Germany and, and, you know, d- you know, you got Dreyer and you got um, Murnau and, you know, these guys really just kind of pioneered a lot of the stuff then. Yeah, I mean, just, just we'll just get into it right now. I mean, start out with Fritz Lang, who was someone who worked both in the silent era and then, of course, in the talkies as well. He came over from Germany over to the United States uh, to make, you know, make American Hollywood movies. But when he was working in Germany is when he did one of the most influential films ever in the sci-fi genre and that is metropolis i mean this this is a movie i heard about before i was even into silent movies like i just kept hearing about metropolis over and over again and it is it's a it's a grand movie it's great (laughs) whether whether it's blade runner or you know or uh you know the matrix or the you know uh, most sci-fi of of the 21st century i mean just every so many things are influenced by the uh, the design, the the production design of that movie. Um, yeah. Oh, most definitely. I mean, it's 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 an that inf- steampunk it's a- that steampunk idea. You know. Yeah, that almost uh, the dysto- you know dystopia, which yeah. is something that you see a lot now, but you but you've seen a lot in the past as well. But that's when you kind of you kind of get in that, and also it's a direct uh, re- um, influence on Star Wars. I know. That- oh yeah. You know, uh, George Lucas saw that movie and was definitely influenced by it. And I think, uh, I think also like a lot of the stuff going on in America, especially with Chat, you know, like Chaplin talking about his films. You know, this movie very much is another is kind of also another social, political kind of film. You oh, know, yeah. A lot of the movies, you know, spe- you know, like you know, with Chaplin, it's a, it's a lot of it's got these uh, social political undertones with it. And, and that's to me, and, you know, with silent films, obviously, you know, we were talking about before, this is almost as like the purest form of, you know, some people, when we got to talkies, man, they really like hated the fact that sound, you know, dialogue and stuff came into, into film because they felt like, you know, having that kind of diminished cinema, you know, this is like a purest form of cinema where, these people had to tell you other than the title cards that would pop up telling you a little bit of dialogue. Yeah. These are, these are people really um, showing you, you know, giving the direction of the movie through their actions. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They, I, mean, it's, I mean, and, and I guess it kind of very much goes along with our topic of talking about, you know, German expressionism. Uh, the visual style of German expressionism was very, it was very unique, very different. Unique, That's yeah. when you started getting, uh, shadows and darker tones and and different types of you know cherisco lighting and stuff like that which would go on to influence the film noir genre that would pop up yeah, i was gonna on. say fritz lang comes over and does or he does m and m is very much yeah you know, and, and, and m in 1931 i think was uh it, it, it's a talkie it's a talkie but it's yeah. one of those movies like i told steven i've told steven before that it's it's in it's right on that borderline where it's it's making the transition from 
the silent film era to the talkie era. Like it feels like a silent movie. If you watch M, just the way it's constructed feels like a silent movie, but you know, there's talking in it. Yeah, um, yeah. It's very interesting. It's a fantastic movie starring Peter Lorre. Watch it if you have it. It's 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 another hugely influential influential movie. But another director whom I really like is you know F.W. Murnau, uh, who did Nosferatu. Mm. If you like if you like vampire movies. Uh, Nosferatu is one of the most influential ever. Yeah, and that came comes out with the, comes out with the a, most popular roles of the vampire genre. And yeah. what is interesting, I mean, there's a whole story to, t- to talk about uh, Nosferatu, but he basically took the Bram Stoker, Bram Stoker's Dracula, the story, you know, the book that was that was written, I believe, in the 19th century. He took that and kind of made his own story around it but it has the same <laughs> type of plot set up i mean he, there's a guy he, he, he rips who, off dracula he rips pretty off much he does <laughs> and what is interesting is they made him uh, there was a whole uh, i believe the uh, bram stoker estate or whatever sued him sued 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 him or sued the studio or whatever and the punishment was he had to like destroy like the negative or whatever but luckily like, it was people, something like that yeah, yeah but luckily there was people around the world that had it and they held on to it yeah, like, yeah. That, that's a, that's something I'm going to touch on a little bit. Is later on is the the availability of these movies is something that is unique into the genre, but is not something that is very unique into uh, the you know the history of film. You know, we'll, we'll yeah. get into that a little bit later because I don't want to get uh, if I get onto that train, I'm going to go Uh-oh. way off into the distance. Uh-oh. So I'm not going to do that. But we'll just talk about. I just want to talk about one more <laughs> F.W. Murnau movie, and that is uh, Sunrise, yes. uh, which is a great film, which is not – it's a darker film, but it's not um, – it's, it's, not, it's not, you know, Nosferatu. You know, it's an allegorical tale. It, it's, it's an allegorical tale about good and evil and giving it to certain impulses and things like that. It's incredibly influential as, for the aesthetics that are within it. It's a great film. It's available on Blu-ray now as well as – as well as Nosferatu, I highly recommend both of those. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, people within the silent era that I'm pretty sure you're familiar with. Um, a lot of directors whom we are uh, well aware of and kind of remember their movies for later on are got their start in the silent era. Alfred Hitchcock did silent movies. Ozu yeah. did silent movies. I mean, some you know big people did silent movies. I think. Uh, it's just kind of amazing well, I mean, where it, people it, got their start. A lot, a lot of times, I mean? a lot of times, people in film school will have a project early on in their in their in their teaching in their learning where they have to make silent films. It's it's part of the lessons, you know, because it teaches you to have to, you know, tell a story through purely through visuals. You know, you have to, and and I and it's important, and that's why I say I said earlier, you know. That's why a lot of people had some – there was some blowback about going into the talkies eras because people felt like that it was ruining because they thought that it was taking away from that visual medium, that pure visual medium that the silent era was. You know, And, and, yeah, and, and, it, and, it, and there is something that's interesting about that, but ultimately yeah. I do like my dialogue and I like, I like that kind of <laughs> stuff too. I, I can't I – mean, I mean there's oh, something yeah, – I mean, there's greatness in both sides, but um, – but you know there is a cool pureness to to what silent films have you know where it's you really have to pay attention you can't look away and 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 hope to keep up you have to no, really be watching the and movie we also, yeah i mean a couple of other directors that are maybe people are aware of uh you know king vidor um raul walsh victor fleming who was one of the directors on gone with the wind i believe um cecil b demille yeah. Uh, oh yeah. You know, talk yeah. about his his epics later on. He did you know Ten Commandments and and stuff like that. He he actually I think he did the original Ten Commandments and then he remade his own movie. You yeah, know, yeah. thirty years later. Um, and very very interesting. And that's kind of and and like Stephen was saying, silent films are different. Uh, the way they're told, they they use intertitles where someone will say something and then like a title card will come up. Uh, you know, saying what they said just to keep the keep the audience, uh, you know, in the know. To like, if, there, you know if there's something what's going they, on, you if know, there's what I mean? something that they can't something really important. convey. There's something yeah. that can convey like through actions very easily to the audience. They'll definitely throw a title card up to help you understand. Yeah. And and like and like Stephen just said, I mean, 
conveyance, I think, is extremely unique and important within silent film because without the without using dialogue, they have to com- they have to portray emotion and emote at a very high level. So you get a lot of um, very physical, very over the top uh, performances in order to really sell things to an audience. You know what I mean? It's a very unique way of acting it comes kind of very much from the theater and very much from from vaudeville and things like that where you really have to sell what you're doing and and a lot of actors and actors couldn't make the transition from the silent era over to the the talkie era they made movies they've made movies about people who couldn't make the transition you know what i mean people who sunset Sunset boulevard i mean that's sunset boulevard is one of the biggest one uh, you know uh, Gloria Swanson, who was one of the biggest stars in the silent era, um, was someone who was completely forgotten. Yeah. She was like, she was, you know, she made all of this movie from for for the for the studio system, and then the studio system just, you know, just, you know, let her go, let her, yeah, just let, let her, her go, just yeah. disappear, and just and, just just like they did to the to the to the films themselves eventually yeah, which yeah, were, yeah. Yeah. nice transition Stephen. yeah 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 so, <laughs> i'm into that <laughs> yeah. and in very similar uh they did the same thing to the movies themselves um and i and it's it's shocking when you look at some of the numbers and it's shocking when you just hear people talk about how much of just the american silent era of of movies are just gone they say like so, about 70 percent I've heard I've heard numbers up to like ninety percent of they're just gone. I've also heard numbers where like uh, I was just watching a, a documentary, a great documentary about film preservation. These amazing shadows um, on the Blu-ray. There is a special feature called "Lost Forever: A Look at Film Preservation, Restoration, and More," where they really go into uh, the processes behind it and kind of the the sense of you know the lack of preservation that there is and a lot of it is within the silent era um there was one guy saying that you know uh, uh nobody produced more movies in nobody pro- nobody produced more movies in the 20th century other than uh, than american cinema and like 50 percent of it is gone yeah. just because they did just because they didn't they didn't save any of it they just like dude back in the they day were, back once they the were day, done with it they, they just yeah, to put it on a shelf somewhere to the point where it decayed, or yeah. they just threw it in the trash, or some people lit them on fire. They lit them on fire because they're silver nitrate, and you yeah. can get the silver out of them. You know yeah, what I mean? I mean, I mean, I mean, but 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 like I was talking about earlier, and in, in the studios almost did a lot of this purposefully because they were fighting against the silent era. Because when they were moving on into the talkies, they were they you know a lot of these you know silent era artists were trying to. Uh, fight back themselves and then what the studios did would be like you know what we're just going to get rid of a bunch of your movies and throw them into the river you know like just like just yeah, and it's <laughs> like and, and it's shocking when you when you think of like how much is just gone like there are yeah there are tons and tons of movies that are never going to be seen ever again by actors and actresses and film directors and whatever that are just gone and lost forever um a lot of it is being saved now a lot of people are going back and we're getting a lot and we're getting a lot more exposure for silent film now amongst young cinephiles, which is great. You know, people past generations didn't have access to these movies because they were either not known or they the prints were just gone. Yeah, I mean, these, um, a lot these... of the film prints just decay, you know, uh, th- so the nitrate prints over time, they basically just like like self not they literally self-destruct i mean it's part it's part of what part of what you know people that are really uh big like film enthusiasts in the sense of like seeing movies that were shot on film or things like that that's part of the the kind of like almost the the charm of it is that you know the thing that thing has a lifespan you know it can't just it can't just live on forever it it, if you don't take care of it it will die and i think that that's part of why people like Christopher Nolan or, or Quentin Tarantino, they look at f- films being shot on film and, and living on film to be important because it gives it, that shows that it has more value in a, in a way, you know, um, yeah, it, yeah. it brings more of a, of a weight to what that is. Yeah. And, and, but the, the ultimate problem with film is that, like you said, over time, oh, film yeah, itself trust will me. Decay. I just, I, just, just, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking like in, qua- in the quality of the movies, but I'm just talking like the actual film prints will oh, yeah. disintegrate. I mean, um, what's uh, even even modern day films 
a lot of the film prints will start to decay. I think, um, what's his name? Uh, James Cameron said they showed the film print of the Titanic so many times that, like, it, oh, like, it, film, it, it gets film prints up, were just, yeah, the film prints were just, like, like tearing. Well, that, well I mean? that, that Same just thing normal, happened. just normal yeah. wear and tear for having a film out. Cause I know when I worked in a theater, there would be times where if a projector messed up, it burns a hole in the film print. You have to snip <laughs> some frames and it messes it up just on that. So if I know that I did it at least a few times on one movie, uh, I'm sure it happened a bunch of times as it ran throughout the world. And, and yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, sure there, it's not a perfect system, but I, I understand the, the, the romanticism of it and, and why and then, people yeah, love oh, it. You know? there's, the, there's a beauty and a quality watching a, an, an older movie on a silver nitrate print that I hear is just something that's magical. You know, you can see the silver, like the, the, the almost, they're almost like diamonds in the frame. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just, it just pops and it's just magical. And if it's a restored print, um, it just, it, apparently it's quite an experience. And, 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 and thankfully, and, Thankfully, to boutique labels like Criterion Collection or Kino, we're getting a lot of these restorations, you know. Yeah, we're getting a lot of the silent era films are becoming more easily available. You yeah. know, whether it is through streaming services like uh, Filmstruck or, or through Blu-ray and DVD uh, and formats from like Criterion, from Kino, from uh, Olive Film, or even, you know, overseas like um, Eureka or Arrow or who or some of the other or studio canal or yeah. some of the other ones who are really putting up these older movies, but are dipping back into the silent era. And I know specifically that, you know, places like uh, the BFI, the British film Institute is preserving a lot of the old silent era, you know, British films, especially Hitchcock stuff. They're going back to his British film era into the 1920s and thirties and, you know, restoring and preserving a lot of his movies and stuff like that. And it's really important that we uh, remember our film history because, because I, I think it's something that is part of the tapestry and part of what makes cinema so unique and is very influential on modern day stuff. A lot of movies now take a lot from the past and do take a lot from silent, the silent era. I mean, there's a lot of homages that are done later on in films that are direct references to the silent era. And a lot of them, a lot of the filmmakers who we know and, and love, the big names, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas, I mean, you know, even, you know, foreign film directors, people like Godard and Truffaut and all those guys as well, they went back and saw a lot of these silent movies and were influenced by them. So to the point where they wanted to become filmmakers, you know. Yeah, what I mean, it's it's storytelling. Storytelling is a passing on thing. You know, we all, you know, even even as as us, you know, we we were told stories from our grandfathers, and you know, it's even even down to that. You know, not even watching movies, but just storytelling in general is something you pass on through the generations. And and yeah, these filmmakers that are even today are being influenced by people from a hundred years ago. I mean, they they all, you know. You know, whether oh, yeah. it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's if you're a person today in 2018, you can watch these silent films and still get something. I mean, from I them. mean, they literally made a silent film and it won Best Picture, uh, you That's know, true. about eight years ago. <laughs> the artists. Now, right. I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of that movie. I think it's OK, but it's still I mean, you can tell there's people that still love that era when they go out of their way to make a movie in modern day that's silent. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it's, an, it's yeah. Coincidentally, it's a movie about the silent era making the transition to talkies and the actor who was, you know, uh, famous and popular and great in the silent era is struggling to make that transition himself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, it's very similar to a very famous movie. Singing in the Rain is about that yes. era as well. Um, and that's one I prefer, I prefer that movies. one. <laughs> that's a great, yeah, that's a great yeah. movie. I mean, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, we could go, we could, we could go even deeper if we really try. I mean, if we really did a more, you know, and we may, maybe one day we will go really deep on on some more of these subjects. Um, but I think, I, I think a good place to stop maybe is to maybe should we give some some real some 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 suggestions of like if there was a place to start, you know, um, in the silent era, like some good places to start. Maybe we should give them a few movies to to go with i mean we've probably talked about yeah. a couple of them but um but I, I would say for me definitely if you're it, metropolis is is, a, is kind of a must 
especially for, yeah. for if you're into science fiction. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd start out with it just because it is really long. <laughs> it's oh, really it is. Long, it, it is long, but yeah. but but I think it, you know. Okay, if I'm going, if I'm trying to to reel you in, uh, I really loved the kid from Chaplin. I think that's a, a mm. it's short and it's sweet and it's um you'll you'll get a sense of Chaplin's um what he what he can do the power of what he can do um other than that i really i you know i still have a lot i need to watch i have a whole set of fritz lang silent films that i need to jump into so i still have a lot of his movies i want to watch but um you know for me chaplin's kind of kind of the go-to for me i i've mostly gotten into his his stuff as a, as a silent film fan but um yeah that's you know, that's where i started that's where yeah. i i started with chaplin um, I would even, I mean, if, if you want to dive right into his features, go right ahead. That's where I started. Uh, Criterion puts out a bunch of his movies on, uh, on Blu-ray and DVD. And, and I think they're streaming on Filmstruck. I mean, I think the, coincidentally, the first one I started with him, I think was, uh, Modern Times is, is yeah. a great place to start out. Gold Rush is great. Um, City Lights is great. If you want to, you know, go to the other guys. Uh, you, you know, there, there's Keaton. like a there, there's like Buster a whole Keaton. Buster yeah, Keaton. Like, if you go to Kino, if you if you're into buying, if you want to buy any of this stuff, Kino's got like two or three sets of Buster Keaton films. Yeah, a um, lot in in especially in the 20s, he did a lot of shorts. Yeah, from like 1920s to like 1929, he did lots of shorts that that are, that that can be easily found. Coincidentally, a lot of these movies can also be found on YouTube. online. <laughs> on YouTube, yeah, because yeah. because I mean, this is a whole discussion. You know, pa- past a certain amount of time, um, things become public domain. Yeah, so they they are they're free, open to the public. They're not in great quality, though. You know, public great, domain. Yeah, public domain's not great. Um, if you're, but if you're into like lighter, more sweeter films, but very tender, go with Chaplin. Uh, Buster Keaton, lots of fun. Harold Lloyd is great, like we've said. And if you want, I mean, if you want more experimental, if you want, if you want yeah, darker, darker, more experimental, stuff. go over to the German Expressionism time. Go, yeah. go overseas. Go to uh, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is great. Ah, yeah. Nosferatu is great. Um, uh, and we didn't, we we have to, oh, man, we didn't, we forgot to touch on it, but Carl Theodore Dreyer ah, is yes. amazing. Vampire uh, is, is vampire. The Passion of Joan of Arc is oh, that's, one of it's, the greatest it's probably films ever one seen. of the greatest silent films, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's maybe one of the greatest films ever. It's amazing. And the one thing we didn't talk about that I think I want to mention now is that although the films didn't have dialogue, the, they did have music. They yes. had orchestral soundtracks. The problem with that, along with the movies being preserved, is that the soundtracks were lost as well. Yeah. So you get a lot of silent movies now where people have created their own orchestral uh, musical scores for them, and there's a there could sometimes be a bunch of different scores for the same movie. I know that was the yeah. that was the the case with Passion of Joan of Arc, where there's like there's like four or five scores for the movie, and the scores for the movie can sometimes dictate the tone of the movie. So you have to watch out there. Uh, in terms of the experience you want to have, you know what I mean. It would be nice to have the original things, but uh, the original soundtrack scores, but they just don't exist. And sometimes at the time, the movies would be shown uh, in a, in a movie theater in a, in a cinema with a live orchestra playing. Yeah, that, I was going to say that's something I've always wanted to experience because I, I know in certain cities that that's something that happens, like pro- probably out in LA and stuff. That's something that goes on every once in a while. But of course, in most, most places that's not going to happen. I, something I really want to experience before I die is to go see a movie <laughs> with a live orchestra. That would be amazing. That um, would be, that would be certainly something something different i mean that would I'm be, sure it'd be i'm I, sure it'd be, it's gonna be it has to be amazing <laughs> yeah i mean a couple of a couple of other films um uh i mean birth of get... birth even though birth of a nation's uh yeah. you know uh you know kind of is controversial um it's still something worth checking out you know just for the hist- historical purposes yeah i mean um, and, and there were other you know there are other directors um in the era like someone like raul walsh who would do kind of like he would do some westerns later on, but he did this movie called The Thief of Baghdad, which is great. Yes, yes. Uh, the Man Who Laughs, uh, directed That's, by Paul Lee, yes. 
just look up a Google image of the man who laughs and you will understand the modern influence that that had and a very popular uh, villain in comic books. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it looks directly like him. I mean, and what is interesting is if you if you read interviews or listen to interviews by Christopher Nolan, uh, he pretty much directly talks about that. He also talks about like uh, like the Testament of Dr. Mavus was another silent film that was an influence on him. Um, there's there's just so many silent films. Although many of them were lost, there's still so many of them to watch by so many great yeah. directors. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, like, like, like earlier we were talking about, a lot of stuff got lost in that time. Like I was when I was watching a documentary, it's like D.W. Griffin had at one point was putting out like 80 films a year. Like that's yeah. how much, that's how productive he was. Like how oh, much he yeah, put out. Like Harold Lloyd throughout his career put out like two hundred movies. Like this, but yeah. they're like you know a lot of them are short movies. Yeah, that's yeah, they're, short, they're short movies. They're not, you know what I mean? They're not features. They're like shorts, but yeah. still, to to have and eighty the, short films in a year, that's like amazing. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> and of course you you have certain influential directors, like we've said, uh, Sergei Eisenstein is another one from Russia. I think he did uh, Greed, and I think he did Battleship Potemkin. You know these movies that are. Um, uh, very political films, specifically for what was going on in Russia at the time with uh, the, you know, the communist revolution and things like that and 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 the whole Bolshevik stuff and all that stuff. Um, what is very interesting about silent movies, something I want to mention, why a lot of silent movies were lost is because if you're familiar with 20th century history, there's a lot of tumultuous times happening in the early 20th century and mid 20th century history, particularly two major world wars, World War oh, One, yeah, yeah. World War Two, highly influenced movies, but also highly influenced um, the destruction of movies. The Nazis, mm -hmm. we all oh, know yeah. they're terrible people. They destroyed a lot of artwork uh, during their reign in Germany, um, and, and, it, and it included movies that were not conducive to their personal philosophies. You know, yeah. they're terrible personal philosophies, but they destroyed a lot of movies, uh, not only from, you know, the talkie era, but also from the silent era as well. And so a lot of those movies are lost too. Yeah. Uh, and, but a lot of those I, movies, a lot of those movies uh, have been found. You know what I mean? The one thing about silent era and just film preservation in itself is that a lot of these movies are found in like archives all around the world. Yeah, yeah. Cinema is a very global thing, and it's very much a testament. Well, spe especially to that. in the silent era, because in the silent era, because there was no, it was just a visual, strict, purely a visual medium. You didn't have to worry about, you know, advocating to a certain audience. It was just pictures. It was just vid it was this image. You know, you weren't. It wasn't so much about like there's this demographic and this demographic. It was well, well sometimes it was very global. Yeah, they could change. That's some, that's why sometimes the intertitles are different. Yeah, all uh, they had to, all they had to do was change the the language of the intertitles. That's it. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. those intertitles are gone as well. Like some film prints don't have them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, and sometimes they would have two different versions of a movie where they would have an English version, they would have a German version, or they would have an English version and a French version, or whatever. I know, um, uh, the film, uh, by Joseph von Sternberg. I believe the Blue Angel. I'm I'm gonna look that up because that movie has two different versions as well. Uh, and that movie came out in 1930. Not quite a silent era film, but it came out in 1930. But I mentioned Joseph von Sternberg because he was someone who made silent movies as well. And you and you have a lot of silent movie stars uh, that prop that propped up during the time. I think we want to mention a few of those because a lot of those are people you are you you are going to know of. You know what I mean, and and well, it's one, something. One filmmaker from that time, he also did some acting. I don't know if you brought him up, but is v Victor Strolsom. Strolsom, he no, did. He was the main actor. Know. He was the main actor in uh, Wild Strawberries, but he was also a director, and he did like uh, Phantom Carriage. Um, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, he, I yeah. I thought that about. was pretty interesting connection there. That he because because Wild Strawberries was his last movie. And he was as an actor before he died oh um, that's very yeah. interesting i mean um a lot some other people that you may know uh douglas fairbanks big star yeah yeah R rudolph valentino was a young star who i believe died like early he died i think when he was like 30 uh lillian gish um there's so many so many oh carol lombard was another one of course yeah, you have yeah. you know you have the main ones like you know uh buster keaton and harold lloyd and and 
and stuff like that. But there's just there's so many. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, we, we yeah we I think we've I think we, all day doing this. Yeah, we we we've covered I think a lot of, of a lot yeah. of this stuff, and I think maybe one day we'll come back around to this and yeah, and maybe and, and maybe. Put, go in one specific area maybe for a little longer or maybe just one of these guys and kind of break down some of our favorite movies of theirs maybe one day but um you know it, like you said could go all day but i think we've uh i think we've done our job here i think maybe on this yeah do you feel good about it i, I feel pretty good about it <laughs> yeah i mean we could literally be doing this for hours and hours and hours um, now I, I, now we got to keep this i think we were a little over an hour i think that's pretty good but um I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, I I found it very informative to to kind of jump back in, you know, doing some of my own research because, you know, with this podcast, you know, we don't look at ourselves as being some kind of experts. You know, we're not we're not experts. We're pretty pretty. You know, I, mean, I would say we're we're above being casual, but we're 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 definitely just normal dudes, and we you know we just not only want to learn more about film ourselves, but you know, if there's other people that uh, would like to learn. Uh, we want to help try to convey some of this stuff out there to you guys in an entertaining way, informative way. And uh, I hope we did that with this episode. Um, if you guys have any other questions or anything like that, please just drop comments. If you have any, you know, any, you know, any questions or anything like that, or if you want to throw some more information at us about what we didn't talk about, throw it down there in the comments. We're on YouTube. Um, you can drop, uh, go to iTunes, please leave us a rating, leave us a review there um pod bean um where can we find you andrew um you can find me on twitter at cabzilla 6 as well as my youtube channel cabzilla productions and you can find me uh stephen billings on facebook i also have instagram um cinema discovery project and like i said you can find this podcast on itunes pod bean youtube leave us comments please share like And I think that's going to be it for this episode, guys. Uh, Thanks for listening. And um, keep watching the movies. I know I will.